Hi, Stephanie. You've been uh, having a busy week, I hear. Yes, I've been having a, a, a very busy week. I was teaching, but I was also going to lots of courts. Um, so I went to the uh, International Criminal Court to tour around with students on Tuesday. And then I came back on Thursday for the Intaganda uh, sentencing judgment. Asymmetrical haircuts, justice update. With Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. All rise. So Bosco Intaganda, one of the many or the several Congo cases at the International Criminal Court. What do we know about him? He was uh, one of the leaders of the militia, but not the top leader, because that was Lubanga, who's already uh, convicted for um, child soldiers. But Intaganda, who is Rwandan from origin and was a kind of Rwanda militia that then joined with the UPC uh, forces and he was charged. Um, unlike Lubanga, he was charged also for a lot of sexual violence and rapes and things that Lubanga was never charged for. And there was a lot of uh, comment that the ICC didn't properly charge him. But Ntaganda got the whole package, and he got a sentence that um, that lived up to that because he got thirty years. So there's the comments that I've seen on Twitter generally, the sense that the prosecution kind of got this one right. Is that uh, what uh, what you heard from people? Yes, I think the sentiment was that in Lubanga, they narrowed it very much to only the child soldiers. And um, they were the only victims in a way. And so the only ones that could get reparations. And in Intaganda, they really, really broadened the number of charges and they got convicted him on all the charges. So that also means very much for the victims on the ground that they the victims of uh, sexual violence can now also apply for reparations once this sentence is um, final. So so the sentiment um, from NGOs and victims organization was very much that this was finally, um, you know, a, a kind of good conviction for Congo. What was it like uh, in court? I've seen that the defence has said that Ndaganda uh, feels quite calm out of this. How did it uh, go in the courtroom? Well, you know, uh, and in uh, news agencies, we like to say what people look like. And uh, we always write that they don't show any emotions while the verdict was read because they, they generally don't. He didn't either, but he was very intently staring at the prosecutor. What I did notice was that his defense attorney, Stéphane Bourgon, was looking paler by the second and looking at the look on his face. I really thought that wasn't going to go well. And you've also been attending the International Court of Justice. There was a big ruling this week about Ukraine versus Russia. What was that all about? Well, this is a case that Ukraine has brought against Russia and they're trying to kind of get at issues about the annexation of Crimea. But because they can't directly bring it to the court in a way, they um, allege uh, that there's discrimination, which is forbidden under a UN anti-discrimination treaty that the court can rule about. And they say that Russia is financing terrorism by financing pro-Russian forces in Ukraine. And that is also uh, something under a UN treaty that the ICJ can look at. And so essentially they are trying to get the ICJ to look at um, the shooting down of the MH17 plane and possible Russian involvement in that by alleging that Russia supplied money and um, materials to the people who shot down the plane, thus financing terrorism. And Russia had done a lot to try and get this case thrown out of the court. What happened on on Friday was that they the Ukraine cleared a big hurdle. Uh, it 
the court ruled that on the face of it had jurisdiction to look at the merits of the case. And so that means we now go into the stage where they actually look at the case. So Russia is trying to get it thrown out, saying even before we start the case, it's obvious that you don't have jurisdiction. And the court said, nope. We can look at this and we're going to look at this in depth. And so that's going to be the next stage. So it's obvious Russia can fight uh, the the case when it goes on the merits. And it has happened in cases that the court said first, well, it looks like we have jurisdiction. And then when they kind of deep delved into the case said, well, maybe we don't quite have jurisdiction here. So in a sense, um, it's a big win for Ukraine because they can actually move on, but it doesn't necessarily say anything about the eventual outcome of the case. And you mentioned that uh, this may be connected to what happens with the downing of plane uh, MH17 over Ukrainian territory, but there are also calls for a tribunal connected to that, an actual criminal tribunal. So how do these things fit together? Well, I asked that of the Ukrainian deputy foreign minister, and she explained that um, whatever the ICJ decides uh, might have an impact on Russian uh, opposition against such an international tribunal. And we can hear her uh, explain it here in this uh, sound clip we have. I think this is important not only for Ukraine. I think it's also important for Netherlands. We made an attempt together to make Russia accountable and create the special tribunal in the frame of the Security Council. However, Russia used it is veto right, and we were not able to create this international tribunal and make sure that Russian authorities and Russian persons will be accountable for the shutdown of the MH17. This court will hear this case, and it might have an influence on the Russian position in the Security Council, and that we will achieve the justice. So what she's essentially saying is that because an international court has weighed in on it, or will weigh in on it, uh, that means that Russia would have less um, kind of maneuver room if this court finds that they did something wrong, then then it looks very much more as obstruction that they don't want this uh, tribunal. So it might move them to to agree to an international tribunal or help these cases that are ongoing in other courts because you have a ruling from such a well-respected court. So again, it's a really interesting example of the interplay that we see as we discussed with Priya Palai recently, how these different uh, courts and tribunals influence each other by getting issues discussed in their arenas and then that makes potentially a change elsewhere. But uh, what else have we got to to look forward to on our podcast? Well, we've spoken to Carla Ferstman, who talked to us about what the current kind of uh, state of play is in the Iraq-UK case at the ICC, where the ICC was looking into um, allegations that British troops had uh, committed war crimes in Iraq. And that was kind of shelved for a long time because they're looking at the UK and how the UK is investigating. And Carla Fersman knows all about what the UK is doing in that case and how this case is moving forward. And she's not the only interviewee that we have lined up over the next weeks. So carry on tuning in to Asymmetrical Haircuts. And I hope to actually see you in person soon. Stephanie, after all of my long travels, see you next week. See you next week. Bye bye. This podcast was created and presented by Janet Anderson and Stephanie van den Berg. You can find show notes and additional blogs on asymmetricalhaircuts.com. 
It is recorded in the Hague Humanity Hub, home to a community of innovators in the field of peace, justice, development and humanitarian action. Music is by audionautics.com and the show is available on every major podcast service, so please subscribe, give us a rating and spread the word.